right, so we are officially into week three of our study in Leviticus, and uh, you got a little preview from Kathleen as to what we'll be talking about, but let's let's dig into the scripture and let's read about it right away. So if you would, turn with me to Leviticus chapter four. We're going to be starting in, in verse one and reading the first couple of verses right now. Leviticus is the third book in your Bible, so if you're taking out your Bibles and turning, it goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and if you see any other book name, you've gone too far. But... All right, so here we go. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1, we read this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done, and does any one of them... We're going to stop there for a second. We're talking about unintentional sins. So last week we, we introduced the topic of Leviticus and introduce this topic of we are in the Lord's presence. The Israelites are experiencing this for the first time. We have experienced this our entire lives. And what does that mean? Well, one, that the presence of the Lord is dramatic and it exposes something. Well, it exposes our sin. First of all, when you come into the presence of the Lord and his holiness, we are, are, are the sin and the corruption and whatnot in our lives in light of his perfection is exposed. And in response to that, we can celebrate the atonement for that sin that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And in that atonement, there were two kind of big emphases that that, that word atonement has. And one of those was the ransom, that sin is costly. And we talked about this last week, how sin is a very expensive thing. and something that we couldn't hope to pay for on our own. Thankfully, Jesus did and still does. The other emphasis is what we get to talk about a little bit more this week that cleansing and purifying aspect of his sacrifice, of his atonement. Um, And so as we get into that, I'd love to invite you guys to pray with me. Dear Lord, as we talk about this topic of unintentional sin, Lord, and we begin to understand your atonement more, we ask for your Holy Spirit uh, to open up these words to our hearts, our minds, and our ears, and our souls, and our bodies. Um, let us hear what you are saying and, and, and understand your character and your values and your love for us. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Two weeks ago, a little over two weeks ago, September 14th, there was the annual Iowa Hawkeyes, Iowa State Cyclones football game. And that means nothing to us because we're not in Iowa. Well, maybe it means something to some of you, but it doesn't mean much to us because we live in Missouri and we don't really care about Iowa sports. But Iowa cares because they don't have a professional team of any sort in time. So these two college football teams are about as close to an actual professional sporting event as they get. And so it's a big deal. And in fact, it was such a big deal that the ESPN brought their college game day national television into Ames, Iowa, and they shot their show on set there. And as they were shooting their show, there was a, g- a kid who thought it would be quite funny, and he held up a sign. There'll be a picture up there. His name was Carson King. He held up a picture saying, Bush Light Supply Needs Resupply, Venmo at Carson King 25. A little bit of a joke. But what happened was, and Venmo, by the way, if you're not familiar, is a cash-sharing app, so you can send him cash to help resupply his beer supply. But what happened was it went uh, – it was – People thought it was funny. It was a joke. It was on national television. He got us several hundred dollars. And being the 
excellent person that his character shows him to be, he's tweeted out, he says, hey, this was a joke, I actually didn't need this money, so what I'm going to do with it is I'm going to donate all the money that I received to the Iowa Stead Family Children's Hospital, which is a state-of-the-art, really high-tech, really well-done hospital in Iowa that um, does a lot of research and and deals with a lot of really hard diseases that the other hospitals are not equipped to deal with. And so he says, I'm going to donate all this money to them, and the tweet went viral. It started going out all over, and money started pouring in. Venmo uh, got a hold of it and said, hey, we're going to match whatever money you raise. And then Bush Light got a hold of it, and they said, hey, we're going to match whatever money you raise. And he started raising a ton of money. He raised over a million dollars in one week. I think up by now it's upwards over $2 million at this point. And, uh, and Bush Light loved this, and so they, they went on a marketing campaign with him. They, they, made, they told him, we're going to give you a year's supply worth of beer. They made a can with his face on it and the words Iowa legend, and they were going to, I think there was a petition to sell that all throughout the state of Iowa. This was a big deal there. They took him out to their headquarters and had him tour around there. They put him on the Today Show and the Good Morning America. I mean, this guy was blowing up. And then Tuesday this week happened, if you're familiar with the story. Uh, the Des Moines Register sent a reporter out to do a profile on him, write an article, who is this Carson King? Iowans wanted to know more about him. And so uh, they wrote up the article, and as the reporter was, was interviewing him and doing a little bit of a background check, he came upon a couple social media posts from 2012 that were bad to be to be to be short but they were racist they were demeaning they were jokes taken from a tv show that were incredibly um ill-advised they were just really bad jokes and they were racist and they were not good and carson king to his credit he came forth in in immediately in a, a press conference and he apologized saying hey i am i'm incredibly saddened by these things uh since then i have understood, you know, I'm saddened that I wrote those, didn't remember writing those. Since then, there's, as you can see through some of my other posts, I've understood the, the, the effect of racism and how jokes like that are not okay, and he was incredibly saddened. But what do you do with that? What do you do with an unintentional sin like that? It happened years ago when he was 16 years old, but nonetheless, he's posted those words, thought they were funny. Clearly that was part of his uh, understanding and mentality at those times that, that words like this are funny. He's contributing to a system of racism that pervades our country in many ways. And the effects of that can't be ignored. Yet he didn't know quite as much as he knows today and he didn't understand the sin that he was. And so what do you do today? Well, our country, our society seems to have two polar reactions to this. First off, you've got the seemingly the whole entire population of Iowa where they come and they said, hey, it's in the past. He's doing a great thing now. Don't worry about it. He's grown as a person. Focus on what he's doing today. What happened in the past can be forgiven. Can We can move on from that. And then you've got Bush Light who came out and they said, Those actions that he did make him permanently unacceptable, and we are going to cut off all association with him. They'll still honor their donations, matching the donations, but no longer are they going to print those cans. No longer is he associated or affiliated with Bush Light in any manner or sort of way. Two very different reactions on on the two sides of the spectrum. 
One is it's okay, let's move on, let's ignore it. The other is, nope, that makes him permanently unacceptable. And as Christians, right, the reaction of the Iowa population of, well, we can forgive him, he's remorseful, he's obviously grown from there, that seems like the one that we would more gravitate towards, or at least we're supposed to more gravitate towards. But, AB InBev, the parent company of Bush Lights, their reaction is actually more in line with the biblical consideration of sin. Notice what I'm saying there, very specific wording. The way the Bible considers sin, their complete cut off from sin, it's actually more biblical. Because sin, as it's described in the Bible, is like pollution. It's like a stain, and it corrupts us. The commentator Gordon Wenham, he he writes this, the Bible attaches a greater significance to actions than we do, and he's talking specifically about sinful actions. For us, there are just memories of those actions. But for the biblical writers, an action has enduring after effects. In particular, sins pollute the place and the person where they are committed. Because sin is the opposite of life. God, sin, by its definition, is in opposition, is the opposite of the character of God. And God is the author of life. He has created us. He has put us here. He is the one who sustains our life. And so sin, being in opposition, is death. And so when we encounter death, when the Bible says, when you encounter sin, when you encounter that death, right, it pollutes us. It stains that person. It corrupts that person and that place even where it happens. And we should try to have nothing to do with it. At least that would be the reaction if we didn't have Jesus. Without Jesus, any time we sin, we should be completely cut off from the rest because we have just introduced death into the equation. But thankfully, thankfully we do have Jesus. Thankfully that corruption of sin, that stain of sin, that pollution that sin has is not forever. I like to think of, the, of this equation or this pollution of sin in, in terms of nuclear radiation because I think it's a really apt metaphor. If you think of the times of Chernobyl, of the Fukushima reactor, of the, of the Three Mile Island or of the nuclear waste pile that we have underneath St. Louis right now, um, those things completely made the places where they were uninhabitable. Fukushima, the people who would go in there... the almost immediately develop cancer and die within minutes, if not seconds, because of the nuclear radiation there. Chernobyl, for decades, nobody could live there. Nobody still can live there. This massive area of land, because of the nuclear radiation and the pollution of sin, is the same. Where sin goes, there is death. And when you're talking about being in the presence of God becomes a really dangerous thing. But thankfully, Jesus cleanses us of that stain, of that corruption, of that pollution. But what does it mean to be cleansed of sin? Because as Carson King's finding out right now, 
even if he were, I don't know his religious affiliation, but even if he were cleansed of sin by Jesus, right? The effects of sin, the consequences of sin are still here. He's still suffering them. He's still feeling them here on earth. The people, right? Our society, both black, both white, both any minority group, suffer the consequences of racism. Yes, even us white people suffer the consequences. We're not the victims, but we do suffer it. Comments like that, being part of a society, being part of a culture like that, brings death in. And so what do we do? Because even if Jesus cleanses us, we're still feeling the effects of that. So what does it mean to be cleansed of sin? Well, let's dig in and let's find out. Leviticus chapter 4, going on in verses 3 through 12. We read this. So, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the tent, or the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all the fat of the bull of the sin offering he shall remove from it, the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys, just as these are taken from the ox of the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering, but the skin of the bull and all of its flesh, with its head, its legs, its entrails, and its dung, all the rest of the bull, he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place, to an ash heap, to be burn up, burn it up on a fire of wood, On the ash heap he shall burn it up. So, how does Jesus cleanse us? Well, here is a very vivid picture of what, a recapitulation of what this work of atonement means. And there's a huge thing going on here that, that happened in our first burnt sacrifice and happens throughout the sacrifice in Leviticus. And it's this weird thing they do with the blood. They take the blood and they smear it on the altar and they rub the horns on it and they sprinkle it on the, on the veil and then they throw it and they splash it against the sides of the altar. What is going on here? Because we worship in a very clean and very sterile place. Thanks to our custodian, this sanctuary is nice and clean and it's pleasant to be in. But that was not the case at the altar of the tabernacle. It was drenched with blood and smeared with blood constantly, and there's ash, and it's burning, and you're smelling all of this. Think about this for a second. You have the burnt offering of a cow being completely drained of its blood and splashed on the altar morning and night. You have these unintentional sin offerings. You have all of these other offerings happening throughout the day. This ground, and most scholars would, would affirm this, is that this ground was saturated in blood. It was probably muddy because of the blood and there were in fact probably streams of blood that came down off of the altar just as water and you're continuing to does it makes little streams there are probably streams of blood flowing out from this place and so as you're walking up your shoes are walking through soppy blood dirt and you're getting really dirty why this blood blood is it's it's weird it's 
kind of gross and it's a disgusting picture. So why this fascination with the blood of the animals? Well, blood, as it's understood in, in, in biblical times and as we talk about it even today, blood is considered to be representative of the life of that animal. You talk about the life blood of an animal. You talk about uh, bleeding out. As you're bleeding out, you are slowly dying. That blood that was the symbol of the life. And so as that animal died, and as that blood is thrown against, that blood is what cleanses us because we are stained with death, right? And what can take away death? Death, the only thing... Well. First of all, what is death? Death is the absence of life. And so in order to get rid of death, you need to bring in life. And in order to do that, in the Old Testament, it was the sacrifices of the animals, and so it was the life of the animals was applied to the death of the person to cleanse them. And for us, as we know, that wasn't sufficient because animals, the life of animals was, they were under, they were under the sin, the curse of sin that us humans put upon creation. But Jesus was not. Jesus' blood was perfect. His life was perfect. He was not stained or corrupted by death or sin. And so when his blood, when his life is poured out, sprinkled upon us and applied to us, it has the power to cleanse us of that death. Now, this seems a little bit weird, right? Because when you think about laundry commercials, blood is considered another staining agent. This isn't the thing that actually cleanses you. Usually when when OxyClean or Tide are doing their commercials, they brag about how they can get blood stains out of you. But when we're talking about sin and we're talking about death, what's going on here is we are in the presence of God. We are in the presence of God of one whose, whose presence cannot tolerate sin. Sin is not able to exist in the presence of God. I, one of my, the illustration that I, I kind of came up with, and this is, this, is in, 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 this is quite biblical, actually. So um, let's see, where's a place of darkness? Somewhere, under here. So we've got, I'm going to go, I'm going to capture some darkness underneath here, right? So in my hands is darkness. It's the absence of light. What happens when darkness comes into the presence of light. It ceases to exist. In the same way, when we bring, if we were to bring sin and death into the presence of God, if we were to bring darkness into the presence of light, as we talked about in in John's letters, darkness ceases to exist. We would cease to exist because we are corrupted and stained and polluted with sin. That is a very dangerous position for us to be in. But thankfully, that danger is averted because Jesus cleanses us of that. Because by his blood, by his life being poured onto those stains and that corruption and that rotting reality of death that we bring into us and that we commit We are cleansed so that when we come into the presence of God, as we are, we are not utterly destroyed. We are given life, and we get to experience life, and we get to experience life and relationship with God. So, 
What does it mean for Jesus to cleanse us? What does it mean for his blood to cleanse us? He, Jesus cleanses us of death. Hebrews 9, thir- verses 13 through 14 explains this a little bit. It says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So when he talks about purifying us from death, he's talking about purifying our reality our body, our minds, our souls, our hearts, our hands from the death that have infected them. So that though we have committed sin in the past, though we have done that, though we have released that nuclear radiation upon the world, he will cleanse us and cleanse our conscience so that now as we're coming down the same path, when we get to that same choice in the road, no longer are we impelled to to choose sin, but we can actually choose life. No longer is, is the rut in the road towards sin. He's taking that out. He allows us and he compels us and he, he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we will choose life now. That's what it means to be cleansed of sin, to be cleansed from that cycle and that pattern of death so that we no longer do what we don't want to do, but now we are empowered to serve the holy and living God. And so as we sin, as we come upon and as we're called out in our sins, whether they're unintentional or not, one, as we learned last week, be grieved by that. Be grieved by the presence of sin in your life and and understand the costliness that it is to pay for that sin. And two, bring that to Jesus in order for it to be cleansed. In order for that pattern of sin that is ingrained upon, upon us, that corruption of sin that causes us to continually go down those cycles and choose those patterns of sin to be cleansed from us so that we can choose and serve life. Because otherwise, if we don't, if we don't go get cleansed, one, we are in incredible danger. But two, We will continue to fester and pollute the places that we've committed it and we will spread sin wherever we go unless it is addressed, unless it is cleansed by Jesus. All right, so if we are cleansed from death by Jesus, why do we then continue to sin? If Jesus cleanses us from that death, if our consciences are in our heart are made pure so that we're able and he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we choose life, right? Why do we still do it? He's given us this... He's given us himself. We're in his presence. We've experienced life. We've experienced love. We don't have that, that, that rut of sin in our life that causes us to choose it. Why do we still do it if we've been cleansed from it? Well, let's keep reading. I'm going to read the first couple of verses of the next few paragraphs, and, and the rest of the instructions are pretty similar to what we just read. So, verses 13 and 14 in chapter 4. If the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they do any one of the things that the Lord, by the Lord's commandments, ought not to be done, and they realize their guilt, when the sin which they have committed becomes known, the assembly shall offer a bull from the herd for a sin offering, and bring it in front of the tent of meeting. And also in verse 22, when a leader sins, so we've gone from a priest to the congregation of Israel to a leader. When a leader sins, doing unintentionally any one of these things that have been, that by the commandments of the Lord his God ought not to be done and realizes his guilt, or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring as his offering a goat, a male without blemish. Verse 27, if any one of you common people, gone from the leader to us, the common people, 
If any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that the, by the Lord's commandments ought not to have been done and realizes his guilt, or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish. So one of the main differences to, to point out is, is he's going through the different kind of classes of, of people. You've got the holy priest, the whole congregation, a leader, and then the common person. And for each one, he's got a different animal. Why the different animals? Why not the bull? We understood last week we talked about how costly sin was, and it cost a bull or, or whatever the most was you could afford. So why here is it, is it not always a bull? Well, <laughs> because it happens so often, and the Lord knows that. And he's not looking to bankrupt the Israelites by decimating their entire herd, having to offer sacrifices of, of bulls or of the most expensive animal every single time they realize one of their sins. Because they still needed that tangible reminder and that tangible um, thing that they could touch and see that sin has effects. That what they did, even if it was months, if it was years ago, had an effect back then. It set things into motion. It, that sin touched things and it spread. And so even though we may be past it, even though we may have moved past it, even though we're, it, we don't understand or, or, or realize the effects of that sin it still was costly. The problem is we do it so many times, right? That if, if we were to have to pay for it in full every single time, Israel would have been bankrupt. Thankfully for us, we don't have to pay for it every single time. But sin is not something that just goes away immediately. You think of going back to that illustration of nuclear radiation. Once After Chernobyl and that, that, that whole area was decimated by the nuclear fallout, nothing could live there. After Fukushima, over in Japan, after the, after the, the, the tsunami uh, melted that reactor, made that reactor malfunction, that place is unlivable now. Even as they're cleaning it up, even as these lands are being cleaned up, it's not automatically there's life. It takes time for life to grow. Where there once was death, Life doesn't just automatically spring up and is perfect and in its fullest and matured form. It takes time for life to grow. And in those times, as we run into those choices, what we're used to, what our bodies are used to, what the world around us is used to us doing is choosing sin, intentional or unintentional or otherwise. And so that's going to be the natural choice. And so it's going to take time for life to take hold and to grow in us. And take time for us to be able to choose away from the patterns of our old life. Because that's what we were used to. That's what the world was used to us doing. And this is that process, that big Christian-y term that we talk about called sanctification. It takes time to learn how to live in a manner worthy of God. And in that time... God knows we're not going to be perfect. Even though we have the Holy Spirit, even though we've been cleansed by Jesus, we are not going to be perfect until we are made new and in a world where there is no sin, where there is no corruption, no corrupting influence, nothing that can, again, pollute us or try to, to influence us. Hmm. So our answer to our question of, why do we continue to sin if it's been cleansed from us is because we live in a world corrupted by sin and we're still affected by it because we're still in the middle of it. 
so, going back to the Carson King story, so after that news story broke, after Anheuser-Busch cut ties with Carson King and, and, and there was the big fallout, some people began to look into the reporter who wrote the story, who went back and, and researched his social media posts, and they found in his past a lot of posts that were probably worse in nature. A lot of things that he said that were just as bad, if not worse, that were just as hurtful, that were that were at the time were probably funny and, 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 and seemed fine, but they were sinful themselves. And so they called him out and they called the Des Moines Register out of, you're holding this guy to this standard and, and, and you caused this to happen and yet your own reporter did these things and didn't even think to check himself. What are you feeling right now? Feeling like, ah, uh, don't throw rocks if you're in a glass house? Well, I know that reporter. I've known him for 12 years. And the stuff that was posted on his Facebook page is horrendous. The death threats that he got, he couldn't go back to his apartment. In fact, the police are advising him to move out of the state of Iowa. And so this community that was so willing to forgive and to move on from Carson King is not willing to do the same with the reporter. And so you see, we live in a world corrupted by sin. It's everywhere. Even in places where we don't think about it, even in places where we feel like it's justice. No, no, no. These patterns do not, we are not exempt from them. I've seen a lot of fellow believers on, on Facebook saying some really terrible things to this reporter. But what do you do with this? What do you do with these unintentional sins? We won't be free of them. We won't be free of the effects of death. Not while we're still here. Not until the whole world's been cleansed and redeemed and restored. Thankfully, though we wrestle with these questions, we wrestle with these situations, we can hold on to the promise and the truth of our Savior. What does it mean for Jesus to cleanse us of sin? Well, it means that he's cleansed us from death. And even though we live in a world that is corrupted by sin, in which we will still sin, and we will still say things we shouldn't, and we will still do things that we shouldn't, Jesus' cleansing blood allows us to be in the presence of God. And it's there in his presence that we learn how to love, we learn how to live, and we learn how to serve him. Thanks be to God that we have that. Because on our own, we would just be one unending cycle of pulling up each other's sins from the past and from the present, condemning and cutting each other off, ostracizing one another. But at least in Jesus, we can find atonement for those sins and a reason and an ability to come together and to fellowship with each other and to be in a community as one.
I want to close with Hebrews 9, verses 26b through 28. And Hebrews writes this. It says, But as it is, he, that is Christ, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, which is a glorious thing, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. To save us from this world that is corrupted by sin, which causes us, which influences us to unintentionally and sometimes intentionally continue these patterns and cycles of death and destruction and ostracization and isolation. Thankfully, we have a Savior who has, one, rescued us from that, and two, will deliver us from it, redeeming this world of the sin that corrupts it and restoring it back into the way that it was meant to be, free from sin and full and intimate communion with our Lord and Savior, with Christ and with his Father dwelling in the midst of us. That is our hope, and that is our future. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, as we come into your presence, as we acknowledge and we feel your presence, we feel the hopelessness of this world, the cruel ways we act towards each other, and we ask for hope and we ask for help and we thank you for Jesus for Lord it would not seem like a world worth living in if it wasn't for him and so we ask you to deliver us from these cycles and patterns of sins the ways that we throw rocks at each other and instead Lord turn us towards you that we may love and serve you and in doing so understand and experience life we pray this most dearly, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. At this time, we get to celebrate communion.